0: It's summer vacation, and you're having a few friends over for a barbecue. You want to throw something nice on the grill. Is it going to be a juicy steak? Or maybe a more sustainable plant-based alternative, like a veggie burger? This dilemma is going to be unavoidable in the future. I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. This episode is about a fundamental part of our existence, protein. But what exactly is protein, and why do we need it? Protein is an important part of our diets. We need it to function, to grow and maintain muscle, basically to live. There's protein in all sorts of foods, but most high-quality protein comes from animal products like eggs, meat, and dairy, and just a few plant sources like soybeans and quinoa. The problem is that the way we produce these many kinds of foods isn't environmentally sustainable. That's why the future of protein is one of the most important sustainability questions of our time. In this episode, we'll explore some of the most fascinating food innovations in search of the game-changing protein of the future. Our journey will take us from an underwater rainforest in the Faroe Islands to lab-grown food in Finland. We'll examine just why we need to change our diets. We'll learn how to farm in the ocean and how to produce food out of thin air. A little later, you'll meet two Nordic sustainable food pioneers. But first, let me introduce you to
1: Roberta Eile. Yeah, so I'm Roberta. Uh, I work at Forum for the Future, which is a nonprofit. And we work on the kind of complex sustainability issues with business, civil society, governments. And I particularly kind of helped to coordinate and lead the Protein Challenge 2040, which is a multi-stakeholder collaboration that we've run for the last four or five years, uh, working with industry um, and NGOs. The Protein Challenge 2040
0: asks the fundamental question, how do we provide up to 10 billion people with enough protein in a way that is healthy, affordable and good for the planet?
1: The shifts that we need to make seem straightforward. We know that we need to change the balance of our protein supply. We know we need to be eating less meat, more plant-based protein and other alternative proteins. And we know that all of those need to be fundamentally sustainable. This really is the core of the problem. Food and especially
0: meat production need to become more sustainable. But Roberta has an appeal. We should not forget the nuances the climate aspect is, of course,
1: important, but it's only half of the story. There's been quite a focus, uh, a sole focus on greenhouse gas emissions, which is crucially important and is the reason I got into this, but... Um, but it does have the potential to kind of distort the end sort of sustainability and nutrition outcomes if we don't look at things more holistically. Um, so a good example of that, of course, um, is the whole debate around um, red meat, um, which is a very tricky one. Um, but and we know that we need to be eating significantly less red meat, for example. But we also know um, that red meat can be a really important source of certain micronutrients, and that fundamentally, you know, putting a cow on grass, and that I'm not saying that's all always the case but where that does happen you're converting uh, a product that humans can't eat directly into great quality um, nutrition and it's some of those nuances and and trying to avoid some of the unintended consequences that when we only look at one issue in isolation can happen is where some of the kind of nuance and some of the complexity comes in a little bit Um, and I would say the same on the nutrition side a bit you know I think Um, where we only have a sole focus on sustainability, we're in danger of losing sight of the nutritional outcomes. And, um, you know, clearly we need a sustainable food system, but if it's not actually driving and delivering the nutrition that we need to eat at the end of the day, we've kind of missed the point.
0: All right, so if the planet can't survive with today's meat production and CO2 emissions, and we as humans can't stay healthy without protein, then what do we do? Posse Weinecke thinks he might have a solution.
2: We disconnect food production from agriculture.
0: Posse is the CEO and co-founder of Solar Foods, a company that is producing protein out of carbon dioxide, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and renewable electricity. It's basically food out of thin air.
2: What we do technically is very similar to wine or beer making. In winemaking, you have an agricultural product grapes um, that you crush, at some water, put uh, the liquid in a fermenter and then add yeast. And this yeast eats sugar in the liquid for energy and uh, and carbon to, to grow and also make the uh, alcohol to the surrounding uh, liquid. So this is sugar-based fermentation with uh, yeast. What we do is gas fermentation. We also have a fermenter uh, and the media, water media in the Uh, in the fermenter, but uh, in the fermenter we we put our microbe uh, instead of of yeast. And this microbe uh, is such kind that it doesn't eat sugar, but it eats small bubbles of hydrogen and carbon dioxide uh, instead of sugars. And this is the fundamental point where we disconnect from agriculture. So technically we are operating a, a brewery where instead of sunlight and sugar, The energy source is hydrogen that we make uh, uh, with electricity by by splitting water. So that's instead of sunlight, hydrogen uh, through electricity is is our energy source. And CO2 is the building block that we we capture from the air.
0: True innovation is not always easy to understand. PASI has a scientific background and is very passionate. The process of producing protein from air involves far more steps than you've just heard. For now... Think of solar foods as a protein brewery the size of a football field, capable of producing what equals 4% of all of the protein consumed in Finland. The technology is called gas fermentation.
2: And if you look at the uh, climate impacts of food production of today, uh, all the climate and environmental impacts are basically due to the uh, reasons that we we are bound to land and land use whether it has to do direct indirect uh, land use effects such as uh, cutting forest for agricultural land or and thereby losing carbon from forest to uh, to the atmosphere or the use of fertilizers production of fertilizers and the the use of water or the inherent emissions from cows. Uh, All these uh, emissions have to do with with the the current traditional practices, what we have. And if we can go around all of this, then the environmental benefits are huge. Also, we're not dependent on on climate or or weather. So it's also a security of supply issue.
0: Solar foods can produce air-based protein almost anywhere from Arctic regions to the desert, and even in space. The product is a so-called novel food and expected to reach the market approximately two years from now. When it does, the air protein can be used in a wide range of foods. It's tasteless, and it can be added to almost any recipe.
2: If we go further in the, in the future and uh, would, for example, produce real meat cells in uh, in. Uh, kind of a brewery, so replace cow uh, with, um, with uh, meat cells, so called cultured meat, um, then in that kind of future we would need, instead of producing feed for animals to eat, we would need to produce feed for the cells to grow and we could be actually providing a part of that uh, growth media for, for cultured meat.
0: Did you know that we actually have a rainforest in the Nordics? Well, I didn't until I met Oliver Gregerson.
3: We call it an ocean rainforest because the seaweed grows, not because we do anything. It's just because we allow it to be in the nature and uh, utilize what nature has to offer.
0: Oliver is the managing director of Ocean Rainforest, a company located in the Faroe Islands producing Nordic seaweed products, mostly for food.
3: It uses the light, the photosynthesis, to grow, and then it takes up the carbon in the ocean and helps us to take up the CO2. And as such, it has a similar function as the rainforest in the land, it's just this one is in the ocean. Seaweed
0: or sea vegetables are forms of algae that grow in the sea, mostly along rocky shorelines around the world. Ocean Rainforest began 10 years ago with a mission to have a positive impact on people in the environment. They do this by harvesting the same species of wild seaweeds that formed a part of our ancestors' diets over a 1,000 years ago. The company has developed unique cultivation methods, making them a pioneer in the industry. Seaweed is also really interesting because it adds umami flavor to meals— It's healthy for humans and animals. And above all, it can be done at a low cost to the environment.
3: And that's where I see a huge market potential in short term, where fermented seaweed can both improve health in animals. But we have seen from research in among other countries in Denmark that when you ferment the the brown type of seaweed we grow in the North Atlantic, the Saccharina latissima, and you add that to cattle feed, you can reduce methane emissions. So you can both improve the health of animals and you can reduce the methane emission. And this is both something we we need on the planet in order to have a more uh, sustainable food production and consumption.
0: But what about if we zoom in on the protein challenge specifically? Will we find one of the future solutions below the sea level in the Faroe Islands?
3: What we know is that we have an enormous amount of ocean we are not utilizing and that we could use for seaweed cultivation. And when doing that, we will have a positive impact on the marine ecosystem by doing that. And there are many applications from that you can use the seaweed for. And one of them is also to produce proteins, not directly by extracting it if it's brown seaweeds, but indirectly to feed, for instance, larvae that can then produce proteins that can be used in in other sectors.
0: Talking to both Oliver and Pasi is totally fascinating. Along with the many other passionate innovators in the Nordics and around the world, they're fighting for the planet by producing sustainable alternatives to red meat. But what if people around the world just don't want to eat these foods? What if they prefer doing what they're used to and love their steaks? Or if they find these kinds of foods too exotic and strange? According to Roberta, changing food culture and habits are key to the green transition in food production.
1: I think what's interesting is what the Nordic regions have been doing around food culture. Um, And the whole kind of Noma movement, kind of rekindling... Uh, culinary innovation and using seasonal produce and all of that. And and I think, to be honest, in, in places like the UK, we're a bit further behind on that. We've, <laughs> we've lost a lot of our food culture. I think we're probably where the Nordics were several years ago. Um, and given both of our societies are so dominated by convenience, you know, we're so time poor as consumers, we always feel that pressure. And it means that our culture so often dictates what we're choosing at the end of the day on the shelves in our we're sort of preconditioned fashion of what we pick. Um, and so I do think that work is so crucial. And I do think, um, you know, the Nordic region has a lot to sort of share on what it's been doing in that area. Posse seems to agree.
0: A sustainable mindset alone will not be enough.
2: I believe people are more aware of the, the issue of healthy food uh, and also environmentally sound food, but that's actually not enough. The uh, new alternatives, new foods also must be uh, good in taste, uh, even better than the existing and um, the consumer experience basically decides uh, if the new alternatives will break through and uh, they have actually become better and better. Uh, And then these new kinds of foods, whether it's dairy or meat alternatives, are all very interesting platforms for our our ingredient um then in, in addition when making this recording um it's a time of of covid 19 and also hygiene issues might be there also in the in the future and people want to know where the food comes from and and what's the story around the food uh, and uh, we can actually be very transparent there uh, where where our uh, food comes from and, and how it's done. All of these things might promote in the future, and and, and we can be part of that uh, future.
0: One thing is taste and food culture, but it's hard to change what's cool to eat. Fine dining restaurants can maybe help us lead the way. Another thing is shaping the thinking and associations related to certain kinds of foods. Maybe we need to rebrand protein altogether if we want to make the
1: shift more appealing to the masses and get more people on board there's some really interesting research that's gone on in this space about how we associate with protein. Um, I know for example, hubbub, which is a charity based in the UK, looking at some of these shifts has done some really interesting research around the links to masculinity and protein. Um, and that's one example where we need to make significant shifts in how people view these products. Um, and, you know, where we've seen like the vegan bodybuilders and they've done lots of work um, sort of bringing that to the fore. I think it's really interesting, those kind of shifts helping us to really change how we associate um, with protein. Um, we've also been doing work um, with schools in the U.S. Um, where we 've been looking at um, how we shift the narratives and um, mindsets around protein so uh, on the one hand we 've done some work actually just with the food manufacturers there to get the products on the canteen in the first instance. but the second barrier of course was how we actually make sure kids are eating those <laughs> those options um, and I think one of the things that came up there was actually how we use peer to peer influencing um, so you know, kids actually are the best um, messengers to their own peer group, and a lot of them are very well-informed and very um, excited and interested by these topics. So there's also something about how we actually enable those demographics to um, to, to talk to each other about these issues um, and influence what each other are eating. Here at the Nordic Talks podcast,
0: we want to inspire our listeners to be changemakers. So at the end of my conversation with Roberta, Passi and Oliver, I asked them how we as consumers can make sense of these complex issues and push the shift to more sustainable alternatives to meet. I mean, how do we actually decide what to buy? Here's Roberta.
1: Yeah, it is a minefield, I'll admit. But if you're going to the supermarket, think about diversity. So trying something you haven't tried before it's not always easy in our hectic lifestyles but perhaps try a new pulse or a a new grain or something that you've not um had an opportunity to cook with before look up a youtube video (laughs) and get some tips on how to soak them whatever while you're um working or looking after kids or whatever during the day um and find some inspiring recipes you know there's so much out there now in the world cuisine that we're exposed to where you know look up a lovely indian dal or something that is just made for plant-based protein, and uh, and try cooking that, um, and I think the the other part is you know look, just looking out for some of those key labels on meat products. So. Hopefully, um, it's not always the case, but where you're able to save some money and not buying the meat on the one hand, for example, or as much meat, um, spending the money that you do spend on those products, um, on the best that you can afford, um, whether that's kind of organic or animal welfare certified, um, they, they're not a quick fix, but they're certainly a great way to go um, if you're a consumer.
0: Oliver is even more specific in his recommendations.
3: My recommendation is, is, has to be, of course, related to seaweed. And, and my recommendation is that you as a consumer look into, OK, how can I apply seaweed more in my uh, daily or weekly intake of food? Uh, and that uh, is very simple. Google a bit about recipes, how I can add seaweed into my food. I mean, why use salt? Why don't you buy some dried seaweed? and sprinkle that over, over your egg, and, and you will have the same salty flavor, but you will also have some additional healthy components that are in the seaweed. Why don't bake a seaweed cake? I had one here on Sunday, it was excellent. Uh, and uh, seaweed butter is very nice if you like butter, but uh, it's it's also nice as a sauce with a fish or with a steak or with something else, some, 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 some vegetables. If you have vegetables, and you should every day, But if you want to make your vegetables a bit more fresh and give them a a bit more edge, add some dried seaweed together with your olive oil. These are small things that you can do in order to uh, apply this completely underused ocean resource that we have around us. I mean, our ancestors used used it much more than we do. Uh, We should start to do it both for the taste, but especially for our own health and for the environment.
0: And finally, Pussy wants us all to act today.
2: Well, I would say already today shifting to, to more plant-based, even if you would be a so-called flexitarian, so still eating meat, but perhaps not daily and once a week or something like that. Already that has a huge, huge impact. Uh, and I think that uh, people will not do it Primarily because of uh, of environmental reasons, some do, um, but but the big movement starts when um, the uh, plant based uh, diet and alternatives are are so good that they are also attracted by, um, let's say the the Western consumer, uh, and this I mentioned because the wealthiest mm-hmm. part of the planet uh, produces most of the the emissions. So the decision what we make in the developed world have uh, we, and where we also consume most of meat and dairy has a a significant impact so that's already something but uh, the problem doesn't end there we need to feed the current population more sustainably but we also need to cover the increasing uh, need for for food because the population is growing and the standard of living on the planet is increasing so that's an additional kind of conflict in, in in the use of resources and there we come into into play.
0: Well, personally, I really love seaweed, and I started to eat a lot of it when I was an exchange student in Japan. And I also think that Pasi and solar foods are doing really interesting work and changing and expanding the notion of what protein can be and where it comes from. I will be sure to keep a close eye on their progress in the coming years. But most important of all, this is an extremely complex issue. It's not as black and white as eating meat or not eating meat. Here in the Nordic region, 30% of millennials identify themselves as flexitarian, vegetarian, or a vegan. So this shift is generational, and I think that we're going to see more of it in the future. And I also understand why people are looking for tasty and delicious substitutes for meat. And any lab-grown alternative better be convincing, or else we will probably revert back to our old habits. I'm Afton Halloran, and thanks for listening to the Nordic Talks podcast.